Heavenly Father, we bow before you this evening on this great Lord's Day. Lord, it's great because you sanctified it. You have set it apart from the other days of the week that we might have a holy and sacred reminder of uh, the work of our Lord, his sacrifice, his perfect life, and his triumphant rising from the dead to take his seat at your right hand. Father, what a day this is and what a day it has been for us that we have been able to worship you on this day. We've been able to gather with our brothers and our sisters and we've been able, Lord, to bless your name and we pray, O oh Lord, that we have done so by faith. And now we ask your blessing upon us this evening as we look more into your word, Lord, that we might develop a high view of your word, that it might be the true excellence of our lives, that it would adorn us, that it would be that distinguishing mark that sets us apart from all others, Lord, and that is our love, our adoration, our protecting, our walking in, and our great love for your word. Lord, in all these things, we demonstrate our love for you, our honor for you. And so, Lord, we pray that as we begin our study this evening in Psalm 119, that you would bless this instruction, this teaching, Lord, to us, as a people that need greater guidance and direction, as a people that need our lives fortified with truth, with understanding, with your statutes and testimonies, Lord, we pray that we would be keepers of your word, doers of your word. And we pray all of this in Christ's name, amen. Well, open your Bibles to Psalm 119. I had begun preparing um, to uh, work our way through Psalm 119 um, later, but now is a good time to begin that. I thought having the opportunity to stand in for John on Sunday evenings, we would go ahead and at least begin this study and begin talking about some of these wonderful concepts that we will find right in those first eight verses. Well, brothers and sisters, hear the word of the Lord as I read those first eight verses, and then we will begin our study tonight. How blessed are those whose way is blameless and who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe your testimonies, who seek him with all their heart, they also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. For you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. Oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. And then I shall not be ashamed when I look upon all your commandments. And I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. And I shall keep your statutes and do not forsake me utterly. 
Uh, beloved, most of us probably already know that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible, and the whole chapter is related to the law of God, the Word of God, particularly His testimonies, His statutes, His precepts, His laws, His judgments. And we'll look at all of these more thoroughly as we go along in our study. I don't have a time frame other than just the opportunity to be able to stand in for John and maybe even dare on some Wednesday nights. But this evening, I at least want to introduce to you the way in which we can be happy. Now, happy is a, a word that many Reformed people don't use. If you've ever, um, if you have some nice theological books, you may find pictures in the front of those books because they were accustomed in the old days to put pictures of the author in the book. And you might look at some of those pictures and see some very frightening or, or scary looking uh, men uh, having their picture taken. And it's unfortunate because I don't think these men were unhappy. Uh, I don't think they were unhappy at all. I think that was just a custom of the way they took pictures, but yet that's not how we take pictures. And when we observe that kind of portrait of a person that doesn't smile, that even looks to have a frown on their face, we automatically judge that person to be very either cantankerous or just unhappy. But happiness is a deep, blessed, tongue-in-cheek, blessed, biblical concept, theological concept. It's rich, it's deep, and it's filled with all kinds of wonderful implications that I want tonight to begin to impress upon you because I want you to be happy. I want to be happy. I want us to pursue happiness and I want us to understand what that means to pursue happiness because of a world that we live in, pursuing happiness would mean to, to uh, unfetter yourself, right? with any kind of responsibility to, to, to take off and then shun any kind of moral constraints, moral responsibilities. And that is a very popular concept. It's a concept that has been rooted deeply in the hearts of fallen men. And it, it, it started in the beginning with Adam. And we're going to, in fact, one of the things that I want to do as we work through Psalm 119 is I want us to think a good bit about Adam. I want us to begin practicing what a Hebrew mind does when they were trained to read the scriptures. 
the Hebrew mind would have been trained to, to develop historical figures and concepts as they would read the scriptures. That is, it wasn't in an abstract. It wasn't just words that we are to take in the moment and simply do something that we want to do with them and then move on. No, there's a linear connection in the Hebrew mind. It would have been catastrophic for the Hebrew not to teach their children their lineage, not just the beginning of the world, but how sin entered into the world. How did it get this way? What happened to the world that we live in? Why was Abraham called out of Ur? I mean, there would have been a historical, linear visual in the Hebrew mind as they would read through Scripture, and in particular, these poetry, this Hebrew poetry. And that's why it's always good to try to connect if we can. We can't always do this because we have lost much of the historical context of what psalm goes where. I mean, we know much of, say, Dave's, uh, uh, King David's penitent psalms. We know there what historical connection that they are uh, connected to, his adultery. And that's helpful to us when we read those penitent psalms, isn't it? We, we can realize the history. We can go back and read about that sin and that event and what sin led to another sin and how it just really crumbled his household in the end, brought havoc and brought really destruction upon his household. But yet we see David as a man of God finding forgiveness and repenting of his sin and really, even though he never overcame the consequences He did find forgiveness with the Lord. And that's something for us to remember, isn't it? Sometimes we can't can't put off the consequences that we reap. And they are there to ever remind us that sin is a very destructive thing, right? But in Psalm 119, we're going to be, the Psalm starts off with this theme of blessedness or happiness. And it's, it's, a, it's a topic that began in the garden. Adam and Eve were created with the ability to be happy. They had no sin. They were created upright. Ecclesiastes 7 tells us that they were Man was created upright, but he sought out his own devices, meaning he sought out his own destruction. Hosea speaks this way of the nation of Israel when he says, Oh, Israel, how you have destroyed yourself. How did Israel destroy themselves? By following after the gods of this world and forsaking the true and living God. 
That's the sure way of finding destruction in your life. That's the sure way of ensuring a degree and level of sorrow and misery, of guilt and shame that you may not ever be able to get rid of by bringing into your life sin and more sin and more sin. And the further you go down this path of destruction, the more you will ensure your own misery. And that's a fact. I personally think, and I'm not going to debate it with you. I don't think I really need to. But I do think that's one reason that there is so much mental illness today. I think that's why so many minds are broken because of the extreme guilt and pain that they are dealing with, and they've been taught to turn to drugs. They've been taught to turn to to doctors as their secular priests and not to Christ. And we continue to maintain a broken society, so we have to uphold a broken society. We have to support a broken society. And how do we do that? We drug them. We pander to them, we, we isolate them, we cater to them. Or, or we, we, there's a number of various ways in which we have to address this in order to maintain what? Some type of, of semblance of normal culture. We know this, even though we try to ignore it and we try to embrace it. We try to say, oh, it's no big deal. All of us are really broken. Well, that's not true. All of us are sinful all of us are dealing with sin, but we're not all broken in that way. We can't be, not if this is what Psalm says is true, and that is how blessed are those whose way is blameless. The psalmist writes and tells us that, and notice there is a superlative nature to the first verse. What do I mean by superlative? I mean excellence. The first what we might call a Hebrew absolute or superlative, like plural absolute, is the word blessed. The word blessed. Why is this important? Well, I believe what the psalmist is saying is that out of all of the happiness, out of all of the the ways in which we become happy, there is one that's superior to them all. I think that's the interpretation. I think that's the way we should see it. I don't think Adam and Eve had a problem making each other happy. But there was an ultimate happiness that they too were to experience, and that was with God. That was with the Lord. They were to walk with the Lord. And and, and by doing that, their happiness would be exceedingly Great. Let's turn to Matthew 19. I want to. I want to point something out to you. Um, I, I didn't do it this morning because for fear of running off onto a rabbit trail, which I am very subject to do. I didn't do it this morning, but I want to point it out to you now, and I want to point out from the story of the rich young ruler. Because there's a correlation here. And what I'm talking about, what Psalm 119 is talking about, and this blessedness, this happiness with the rich young ruler. 
Now, let me begin reading at verse 16. And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good, but if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, well, you, sh- you shall not commit adultery, I mean murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? And Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Now let me help you make the connections. Notice what our Lord said. Now notice the words that Jesus uses here. First of all, I mean, when you talk about what shall I do, or, you know, what, how, what shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? That's a good question. But obviously this young man lacked a lot of understanding. He was not educated. He was not as thoroughly instructed in the ways of the Lord. And that's obvious by the question that he asked. And then he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? Certainly a moral uh, standard there about what is good. For there is only one who is good, Jesus pointing out, do you really know who you are talking to? Do you recognize who I really am? And then notice what he says, if you wish to enter into life, if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Brothers and sisters, I've instructed you in this in the past, and let me do so again. When we use these terms, we must see these terms as as terms that are full with all kinds of concepts. Life. Life would be contracted with contrasted with death. Under the idea of life would be happiness. What makes life worth living? Happiness, satisfaction, joy, peace. All of these things, these virtues, these, these what we might even call common graces that we share with one another that make life meaningful. Under death is everything that makes life miserable. Sorrow, depression, hatred, bitterness, envy, greed. And we see that these are concepts that originated with mankind all the way back in the garden. The day that you eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall die. 
But what I want to point out is, notice, the rich, or this young man, this rich young ruler, lacked any understanding of this. And when Jesus told him what he must do, which was basically get rid of the idolatry of your heart, which was his wealth, and come and follow me, then you would have the what? The liberty, the freedom, the life that you desire and want because now you can follow me. But he didn't want that. He didn't want that happiness on God's terms. He wanted it on his terms. He wanted a happiness that was derived out of self-righteousness. Go back to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve decided that they would not live by God's word, but that they would live by their own standard. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not partake of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You will live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was the temptation of Jesus when the devil came to him. Jesus said to the devil, my food and drink is to eat every commandment that comes out of my father's mouth to do his will. And we see Adam failed that temptation. Jesus excelled in that temptation. Jesus showed us that the way of life is this obedience to God's word. Adam failed at it. We failed in Adam. And now we suffer from this life of sin and misery. And we are now clamoring to get back to happiness that can only be found in Christ Jesus in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I'm the life. Meaning that if we are going to have and possess these things that we desperately seek after on our own and yet continue to fail miserably time and time and time again that now we must do so in Christ and to be in Christ is to have the way laid out before us. This way, this life, this truth. The young rich ruler went away grieved which is exactly the proper emotion when Someone rejects God. Sadness. To reject God, to reject his ways, to reject his wisdom, to reject his word, his commandments, to reject his way of life, brother, is, brothers and sisters, is to ensure, is to ensure depression and sorrow and misery. Yes, we can suppress them at times. And people do. People find ways to suppress their sadness. And sometimes that's buying more stuff. Sometimes that's, you know, having more partners. Sometimes that's uh, having better jobs. Sometimes that's just making more money. I mean, any number of things that people do to silence the misery. They do. And it continues to wear on 
their bodies and their souls because they were not created to seek after this degree and level of happiness on their own. For the happiness that we're talking about in Psalm 19 is a gift. It's a blessing. It's something God does to us and gives to us and, and, and works in us. Just like he had created Adam and Eve upright from the very beginning with the capacity. They had the full capacity of freedom, prosperity, and happiness. You know, when you think about that original creation, remember they were put, what does the Bible say? They were put in the garden. The garden was a very special place. It was a cultivated place. It was a place that God had cultivated for them out of a wilderness, out of the wild. It was special. God built it. He was the first contractor. He built a home for Adam and Eve that they could live there and uh, thrive there and experience all that they had been made and created to experience, they had that given to them. You know, because when, when Cain, remember when Cain had killed his brother Abel, after even Adam had been, Adam and Eve had been exiled from Eden, right? The garden. And they had kind of honed out a place for themselves out of the wilderness. How did they do that? By the sweat of their brow. By the, by the, the back muscles, by the strength of their hands, by the cultivating and moving rocks and thistles and thorns. And, and now they didn't, have, they, see, they no longer had this great blessedness of Eden. They're now forging in this wild, their own culture, if you will, hone, uh, cleaning up and, and reforming this wilderness so to make it inhabitable. And even when Cain murders his brother and he doesn't repent of that sin, and what does God do? He exiles him from that cultivated place. The Bible tells us that he was exiled in the land of Nod. What's the land of Nod? The land of wandering. See, the wandering, again, these are concepts that I'm, I'm just wetting, welding in your mind so that as we begin to work through this passage, you're, you're taking these, these terms and you're able to attach them to these visuals in your mind. That's what the Hebrew would have been taught. The land of Nod, the land of wandering. Now, I bet you if I look at these ladies, now, some of you guys, I bet you if even Christopher was here, these young men, these young, strong, strapping men, if I said, I mean, who wants to wander? I mean, oh, yeah, I'd like to wander. I want to I go hiking. I want to go out. I want to experience the wild. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the kind of wild this is. This is dangerous. It would excite young men, not so much older men, but it would never excite the ladies because the ladies don't want wandering. They want stability. They want to be established. 
They want a cultivated place. They want a place that's kept. They want a place that's been furbished. That's why the calling of Abraham and the calling of with his wife Sarah is so impressive because they lived in tents their whole Christian or their whole godly lives. They, they wandered and, and remember God was saying, Abram, I'm going to give you and your descendants every place that you put your foot and you got to imagine how much territory Abram covered living in tents. That's not, a, that's not really what a woman wants to do. Wants to be established, but look what sin did. Sin brought that misery. It brought that wandering. It brought that unsettledness. And along with unsettledness comes this insecurity. It comes this unsure, this, these insurities and, and whatnot. And we find that in Psalm 119, all throughout the Psalm, but let's look at these first day verses and yet notice how this song can help us with how beautiful it begins. Let's start with that first verse. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Now, as I mentioned, we're talking about these superlatives. Blessed is one of them. Blameless is another Who's, and the word way, there's three right there in the first part of verse one. That is, there is a ultimate happiness, blessed, and there is an ultimate way. There aren't many ways to this happiness. There aren't many ways to this blessing of God. There aren't many ways to this life and prosperity and this freedom that God offers to his creature made in his image. There's one. It's ultimate. And then blameless. There is one superior moral character that excels them all and that's the one in Christ. Um, Charles Bridges in his commentary on Psalm 119 talks about how Psalm 119 sets the stage, if you will, or it lays forth the, the paradigm of the perfect Israelite. And the perfect Israelite's not a sinless Israelite at all. A perfect Israelite was someone who had a grasp on their fallenness and their need for redemption and thus grasping and clinging to and holding to and protecting that way of salvation. That in the mind of the psalmist is the perfect Israelite. Now we see a great distortion of that in the New Testament with the Pharisees. And that's why Jesus had to constantly correct them. I mean, have you not read the word? I mean, have you not known the scriptures? And they had so distorted the word of God and abused it and misinterpreted it, mishandled it, that it just had created this tribe of, of self-righteous um, fools. This blessed way, listen to some of the verses that 
speak of this ultimate blessing. Deuteronomy 33:29. Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. I mean, what, what beautiful language, right? How happy are you, O Israel, whose God is the Lord, whose salvation is of the Lord. Remember, think about what we even talked about this morning. Having the, the being the recipient of God's generosity, his salvation, that he was not obligated to give to anyone, yet has been given to us. In 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 7, happy are your men and happy are these your servants who stand continually before you and hear your wisdom. Probably the most famous of all of these verses are at least the most well-known of these verses, Psalm 1-1. Now, Psalm 1-1, we believe, or at least scholars believe that uh, the compiler of the Psalter possibly Ezra, compiled the Psalter for the people of God and then wrote Psalm 1 as an introduction to all the Psalter. Meaning that the Psalm, and it's been taught this way and I completely have no reason not to agree with it in my own study of Psalm 1, is that it capsulates and captures the essence of the very essence of the Psalter. That is the very understanding in its basic form. If you read Psalm 1, study Psalm 1, understand Psalm 1, then you already have a grasp on the whole Psalter. Impressive, isn't it? Psalm 1, 1, blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. He's blessed. This man doesn't put himself in harm's way. He's constantly watching over himself and the people he loves, the people under his charge, under his care, and he's a protector. He's a protector first and foremost of their hearts and then their persons. Psalm 2, verse 12, kiss the son lest he be angry and you perish in the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all those who put their trust in him. Uh, I mean, we could read dozens of verses like that. The point being that this concept of happiness is not a foreign concept of Scripture. It is not a foreign concept in the Word of God. In fact, it's central. It is central to the, all of the theological beauty of salvation. I mean, if salvation doesn't make one blessed and one happy, then what are we doing? And we're not talking about that kind of happiness that's fake or put on. It doesn't mean you can't 
hurt, and it doesn't mean you don't experience hurt or, or pain. It just means that the quality and the nature of your life is that of blessedness and happiness, of that relationship that only exists between the creator and the created. This is something that husbands can't give wives and wives can't give husbands and children doesn't give parents and parents can't give children. There's a level and degree of the superlative quality of, of, of life that only comes from the creator to the created. And I'm certainly not saying don't try to enjoy your spouse or your children or your relationships. That's not the point. The point is they will never, or the point is you will never find your ultimate superlative happiness and blessedness in them. Adam was not going to find it in Eve, even though they were once perfect. And Eve would have never found it in Adam, even though they were once perfect. They both had to look to their creator, and that's why God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day, that he might instruct them, that he might, de- that he might de- deliver to them what life is about. Wisdom, understanding, what it is, peace. He would have instructed his two children in how to walk with him in the nature and quality of their uprightness that they were created with. Remember, they had no experience. They were created full adults. I mean, Adam, full adult male man standing in the garden, no childhood, no mother, no father other than God. Eve made from the side of Adam his rib, made from man to give to him as a help meet. Those two were to complement one another. The Bible tells us, and God made man male and female. He created them in his image. That together, together, they would complete the image of God in man. And they were to do so uh, wholly and happily. That's with a W-H-O. Completely, without reservation. They weren't going to fight each other over it. They were going to do so completely. Now, the word blameless is another Hebrew uh, plural. Um, superlative here and absolute. And what the psalmist is saying, like the rich young ruler, like Jesus said to the rich young ruler, do you want to be complete? Do you want to be whole? This is, this is the concept right here. You want to be complete? I mean, you want to be a full, you want to be a whole man, because when we go after sin, when we, we I'm going to use, I'm going to make up a term because I can. When we sort of butcher our lives up and we're not complete, we're fragmented because of the way we pursue things. And Jesus tells the rich young ruler, don't you want to be complete? You want to be a whole man? Well, here's, you're going to have to learn to do these things. 
And you have to learn to do these things in the way that God has given them for you to do. And after the fall, they can only be done in his son through his redemptive grace. But that's what he's talking about here. He's talking about soundness. He's talking about completeness. And this is, I think, the same concept Paul uses in Timothy. When, when Paul speaks to Timothy about sound doctrine, it's the Greek word that we get the English word hygiene from. It's sound. It's healthy doctrine. Why? Because this healthy doctrine, this teaching of the word of God produces a what? A healthy whole man. He tells us that the blessed are those whose way is blameless or blessed are the, what, undefiled. You may have that translation. Blessed are the undefiled, this plural absolute meaning, meaning that this is the ultimate way. That this is, there are ways in which men there are ways in which men commit themselves to improve their lives. But there's only one ultimate improvement. Paul speaks of it in Timothy. Physical exercise has some value, but it's not ultimate. Physical exercise is only good for this world not the next. The things we're talking about are good for this world and the next. It's superior. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, this is the concept, this is the idea and the word used there of Noah. He says, this is the genealogy of Noah. Noah was a just man perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. This is the concept. Noah wasn't sinless. Noah didn't somehow skip and bypass the the biology of Adam and Eve in some way. No, he is from the lineage of Adam and Eve as we all are. And thus, he has, he has imputed to him, as we do, their sin, their guilt, their fallenness. That's why we come into this world guilty already. So he's obviously not speaking of Noah being a sinless person. He's talking about Noah being that man that has taken the superior way. We go back and we read Genesis 6. What's going on culturally? Sin is degrading. Culture is fragmenting. Culture is falling apart. Culture is turning on itself. There's, there's all kinds of debauchery. There's all kinds of evil. There's, all, uh, uh, there's a degree and level of wickedness that rises into the face of God that moved God to flood the whole earth and start over with eight. That's how wicked the earth was. And that has to be impressive in a negative way. It has to be astounding, and yet Noah was different than everyone else. He has taken 
the blameless path. He had taken the way that the undefiled take. He had taken the path of righteousness. He had taken the path of redemption. He had taken the path that the psalmist says, these are the ways of God. Same way with Abraham in Genesis 17 and verse 1. When Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. Walk before me, Abraham. Walk this high way. Be blameless. Notice the psalm. Let's read through. Notice how he says in the psalm itself. He says, how blessed are, verse 2, how blessed are those who observe your testimonies, who seek him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in his ways. Can you not see Noah? Can you not see what Adam was even supposed to do? And, he, and at, at some point he said, no, I'm going to do it my way, not God's way. You can see Abraham there. You can also see the rich young ruler because he denies this way. He took his own path. And what was the fruit? What was the, what was the result of, of, of the rich young ruler taking his own path? Sadness. Sadness. Why? Because he had turned his back on this blessedness. Brothers and sisters, we're, we're, we're drawing, our time is drawing near. And I want to make sure that I don't just do too much, but just if, if, I, if I've done anything tonight, I want you to begin to connect with these verses, people, events then you can ask yourself, am I like him? Am I like her? Is this the path I'm taking? Is this the path I'm on? You could, you could think of it this way, that the ones that are on this path, right, the ones that are walking in this way, that God has provided a way in which that our, our happiness that we experience that superlative, blessed happiness that God intends for all who seek him, for all who love him, and for all who turn to him for their salvation, and all that love him. Look at verse 4. For you have ordained your precepts that we should keep them diligently. In verse 4, God's precepts, God's rules, God's principles are what? Precious. They're guarded. Do you guys remember my lesson on Proverbs 4, 26 on the heart? Same concept. Keep the heart. Keep these ways. Guard these commandments. Verse 5, oh, that my ways may be established to keep your statutes. And then I would not be ashamed, or in Hebrew, put to shame. 
I, wouldn't, I will not be put to shame when I look upon your commandments. When I'm trained, when I'm educated, as I know these things, shame is not part of my life because I walk according to these commandments. This obedience ensures that I would not be ashamed before my God. I mean, listen, that's the reality. Adam had a direct path to bringing pleasure, if you will, to God. By what? Obedience. Not eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That law given to him as a covenant, as a way to secure his blessed life and the life of all of his and Eve's posterity. God gave him that opportunity. God showed him the way. Adam, this is the way. Notice in verse Seven, I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. Worship and praise. And I shall keep your statutes and do not utterly forsake me. You could take these verses and develop this picture of a person that's blameless, that's a doer of the word, that's an observer of God's commandments, that are seek after God. They do righteousness. They're keepers of the rules of God, and they're worshipers of God. That's what's all right here in these first eight verses. Now, I didn't get into the, the poetical construction of Psalm 119. We can do that at another time. But this is just an introduction, just dealing with verse 1 that I've given you these biblical concepts. And here's my question that I want to leave you with again. Brothers and sisters, emphatically, happy are the keepers of the Word of God. Emphatically, absolutely, happy are the doers of the Word of God. Let's pray. Now, blessed God, your love for us is astounding. The way that you teach us, instruct us, the word that you've given to us, the way that you've even put the whole counsel of your word together, Lord, we pray that we would just devour it, that we would eat it as the food for our very souls. Thank you for the opportunity tonight to look at this psalm and to to examine ourselves by it. Lord, we want to be that blessed person. We want to be that undefiled person that's walking in the law of the Lord, in that direction. Lord, you have given us the way to go. You've not hidden it. You've not obscured it. You have shown it to us. It's right here. And we pray, O oh Lord, that we wouldn't do this in our own strength and be guilty of self-righteousness. Oh, no, that we would do this in Christ. Christ is the way and the truth and the life. He's the door. And no one comes to you, Father, except through him. So teach us, O oh Lord, to uh, confess our sins. Teach us to renew our covenant with our blessed Savior. And teach us to walk humbly before you, Lord, in your word. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.